Hey there, everybody. This is Beyond the Beach, career conversations with graduates of Cal State Long Beach. I'm your host, Kenji Klein, Associate Professor of Management at the College of Business at California State University, Long Beach, where I teach business strategy, general management, and organization theory. In this show, I interview former students and recent graduates about life after Long Beach. Our conversations cover topics like how my guests chose a career path, how they landed their first job, and what it's been like to navigate the challenges and opportunities of their early careers. My hope is that you will find their experiences useful and inspiring in helping you chart your path beyond the beach. My guest today is Elliot Husher. Elliot was a student in my business strategy class back in 2018 and now works at a startup doing consumer loan origination. That's correct. Yep. Hey, Elliot. It's, uh, it's really good to have you here today. Um, Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and I think this is a really awesome podcast that you're starting to help students find their way uh, through their professional development. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited about the idea. So, so let's, just, let's dive right in. Um, could you just uh, briefly introduce yourself um, to the audience, a little bit background about who you are, when you graduated, what you studied, and why you chose the field that you did? Yeah, totally. So I graduated back in 2018, and I was a business administration finance major. Um, growing up, I was super fascinated by the weather, actually, huh. and meteorology, and p- how meteorologists would be able to forecast the weather seven, right. ten days, or sometimes even longer out. Yeah. But uh, as I grew up, another kind of forecasting be, um took me even further, and that was trying to predict what financial markets were do, would do yeah, and uh, how people determine price and value for different types of asset classes right. through different economic cycles. Um, so that's how I ended up in finance. And then my first job out of school was at a wealth management practice okay. at an RIA. Okay. So. So that's interesting that you got into this because of an interest in meteorology. Yeah. And, and the, the, <laughs> yeah. Reason, the reason I say that is because, um, you know, before I ended up studying management and going into business, I was, I was actually going to be a historian. And okay. so I was in kind of the liberal arts side. And I remember thinking, ah, statistics is BS, right? It's just a bunch <laughs> of crap. And then, you know, someone was like, you know, because we have statistics, we know what the weather is going to be like yeah. seven to ten days, sometimes even two weeks from now. And I thought about that going... Yeah, it can't be BS if we can actually accurately predict the weather. Right. right. And so there's multiple different models that meteorologists use, yeah. and it's just whoever can get the best data right. and apply it in the best way, which is very similar to yeah. what a lot of financial firms do. Right. But there's a level of human emotion and yeah. just yeah. some some form of chaos theory that gets right. added to right. the Right, That makes it a lot more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so does that mean, I mean, did you have to do a lot of statistical analysis and stuff in your finance program, or are you doing it um, our, work? Or? Our, our finance program had, I think, there was business stats that was required, and then maybe one other statistics class, but I took AP in high school, okay. so I didn't take that here at Long Beach. Right. Um, but actually, one of your questions I think that you're going to ask later today is things that I might do differently. So yeah, you can yeah. touch well, on that. We'll get at that. It. Point. We'll get on that. We'll get it. We'll get at that. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, and then I'm sorry. You said so. Right now, so the first thing you did yep. when you graduated was you were working in wealth, wealth management. management. Yep, yep. Okay. So that's just investment advisory right. for an independent office up in Sacramento. And that um, was basically individual consumer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So f- right. f- families, nothing bigger than that. Okay. 
And then right now you're you're doing your startup, which is consumer loan. Yeah, so I work at a, a Series A fintech startup. We've got about 25 employees. Three quarters of that is software engineers. Okay. And then the rest of us are on the product or business development side of things. Okay, cool. Uh, it's ever-changing and a lot of fun, but uh, no shortage of work, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. Startups are, can be a grind, but they can also be super interesting. Yeah. So so let's start with that first job uh, after gradu- graduating. Yeah. How, how did you find it? Um, and then how did you navigate that transition from being a student to being an employee? Right. So um, going into school, thought I wanted to do something in finance, but wasn't sure. Right. Uh, everyone always talks about investment banking, right. but that wasn't super keen for me and just wasn't one of the options that was most readily available. Right. So the standard internship that I learned that most people get their freshman to sophomore summer yeah. was an internship and uh, wealth management or financial okay. advising. And so I was fortunate enough to get hired by a group down here at okay. UBS and Seal Beach. Oh, okay. And so that's that's where I started in the field. Right. And then um, from my time spent there, I realized that I wanted to work at a smaller shop that right. would have more flexibility, a wider range of products to offer. Right. And so that's what led me up to Sacramento. So, so um, just to pause, mm-hmm. uh, UBS is big. Yes. And so that <laughs> yes. experience of being in a really big place made you realize that's not where you wanted to be, at least right away. Yeah. So at the uh, larger institutions for wealth management, they call them wirehouses. Okay. So that would be like your Wells Fargo right. or Morgan Stanley or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, the financial advisors there typically have a slightly smaller selection of products that they can offer their clients okay. because they're tied to the larger organization that right. they bank through or they're bro- they broker through, I should right. say. Um, and in an independent shop, you just have less restrictions. You have more freedoms. Um, and that was attractive to me because I just thought it made the line of work a little more interesting. Okay. And so the internship that you got, mm-hmm. where did you get the internship? Okay. So the, the f- what do you the, mean? I'm sorry. So you, I, I thought you said, like, you got the summer internships um, initially while you were a student? Yeah, yeah. Right. So uh, who did you go through to get it, or how did you find that? What was that process Right, like? so uh, that was my freshman to sophomore summer, and I remember Googling a lot about just all of the RIA practices here in Long Beach. Okay. Um, so that was through the big brokerages, and then there were a couple smaller shops. Just for our audience, RIA? Is um, Registered Investment Advisor. Okay. Um, And so I found them all on LinkedIn and started messaging folks. And the woman that I worked for down here, her name was Lisa Chapman. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her book of business was well over $500 million. And so I thought that would be a great place to start and kind of get my feet wet in the industry. And yeah, and lucky enough, spent two and a half years working for her. Great time. Um, And then just wanted to get back up home home where I was raised in Sacramento and okay. at a smaller shop that was uh, had a little bit more was a little more nimble okay. for lack of a better phrase. Right. So you're so you're originally from Sacramento. Yeah. I've been yeah. driving up I have a really, really, really close friend, like you know, freshman year of undergraduate, so for me that's a long time ago. Uh-huh. Uh, who lives in Sacramento now. So I've been driving up there actually pretty frequently just yeah. to hang out with him and stuff. Very different than life down here in yeah, LA. It for, is it is for, but, but like yeah. like everything, pros and cons. Yeah, I know, I know. But driving through the Central Valley in the middle of summer was was pretty hard. Yeah, <laughs> Bakersfield, so 115 degrees. Yeah. Where else would you want to be? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that wonderful, <laughs> wonderful cologne smell. <laughs> you drive through there. Yeah. But anyway, so um, 
So you did the internship while you were a student. Yep. That was something that you you basically just were like, nose to the grindstone, I got to look, I got to reach out, I got to contact people. You contacted people, you found the internship. It was a good experience. And then when you graduated, how right. did you find the Sacramento the job at USP? So this shop actually was the advisor for my parents, so that made okay. the introduction really okay. easy. Okay. But I also interned for them before I started college. Okay. And wow. at that point, it really... Um, wasn't anything technical. Okay. It was just like, uh, hey, here's the office. Okay. Here's what we do. Right. And would get a little bit of exposure to the industry to make sure this is kind of what I wanted to do. Right. Um, and I knew the partner very well. He'd okay. come out to talk with parents frequently. Right. Um, and so it made the transition super easy from that regard. Yeah. Uh, what attracted me to his pro- practice more so, though, um, was he was getting towards the end of his career. Right. And so I thought for me, if he phases out of the business in five to 10 years, that would be the perfect opportunity for me to um, start there, begin to build the client's trust. Right. And then when he wants to phase out to smoothly transition the book of business over to myself. And because of thinking that part. Yeah. 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 That's good. I I always like to have five, 10, 20 year plans. And as, as the listeners will learn, doesn't always go to plan. Of course, of course. But it's it's good to have long-term goals and constantly kind of check yourself to make sure you're on that track for where you want to be later in life. And then, so in the internship and in that that early job, like Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis, like what were you doing? Right. So it was a lot of learning. Okay. Um, And so my favorite part of the job was to sit in on conversations that the advisor would have with their clients and learn how... They make the uh, investment universe just more digestible okay. to people who don't focus on that right. day in and day out. Yeah. Um, and the biggest thing I so learned, that's a lot of communication, right? That's yeah. like how do I speak in a way that people can understand? Yeah, yeah. it's it's all all people skills. Yeah. And what my first boss Mike told me is it's it's just learning to tell the best story that you can, right. and uh, you got to be able to know what. The person you're speaking with understands and right. like, translate it to their level yeah. and then help them to just get a better understanding and right. build from there. So, yes, and I interrupted you, and I'm sorry. All it's good. It's <laughs> thing that I do. Um, but you were talking about, so, what you were doing on a day-to-day. Yeah. And so, initially, it was a lot of learning, and you were sitting in on these, these yep. meetings with the clients, and you yep. were absorbing what you know, the people that were ahead of you were doing and learning from that. Exactly. And so kind of just fly on the wall. Right. And then a lot of uh, prepping documents for meetings. Okay. So uh, trying to get materials ready, no matter what questions might be asked for the advisor, just have everything handy. And then a little bit of work on the asset management side of things, learning to actually build a well-diversified portfolio that would benefit the client contingent upon their risk tolerances and stuff like that. Okay. Um, so um, how long were you there for? Uh, the internship was for two and a half years down right. here. The summer before that was only one month. And then uh, for my first job, I was there for just over two years, I think. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, and, and at about a year and a half in was when I started to get an inkling that maybe this wasn't the best fit for me. Right. And so it took me probably six months, a little bit longer than I would have liked to, but that's about how long it took me to find the next the next role. So that was when you realized it's, it's bigger than you want it to be, you want to do something else. So yeah. you decided, okay, it's time to make a pivot. Yeah. 
Yes. So what the, was that the, process like? The thought and process. Why did it take six months? Did you wait the six months, or did it, you were actively searching for six months until you found what you wanted, or, or how, did, right. how did that play out? So at this first office that I worked for, there were four advisors, and um, I was in. I, I really enjoyed my experience there, mm-hmm. and it seemed like they enjoyed the work that they did, the relationships that they built with their clients. Right. They were fulfilling a need in their client's life and providing a valuable service. Um, but what I realized was at my age, cause at that time I was only 23 years old, mm-hmm. I thought it would be more important for me to build hard skills and less okay. soft skills working on relationship management. Right. And I, I really had a yearning to get closer to the assets. Right. Um, as a financial advisor, uh, generally speaking, this is painting with a broad brush, mm-hmm. so it isn't always fair. But um, you you focus on diversification and just finding a portfolio that suits the the risk tolerance of your client. Right. But you don't you're not looking like at QCIP level of individual bonds generally, and yes. then and then making bets at, at that level of granularity. Yeah. And I I just wanted to experience that and okay. see what it was. So I had the goal of. My, my top goal was um, finding a large asset management firm where I could work on a bond desk okay. because I thought bonds and fixed income were the most interesting part of finance because that defines our risk-free rate, yep. which is supposedly how everything else in the world is priced off of. Right. So I thought it would That's be really neat. on and yep. everything else. Yeah. Exactly. So I thought it would be really neat for me if I get a seat at ground zero there okay. and see how those instruments are priced, what portfolio managers are thinking about, and um, kind of that transition. Yeah. And so to, to find an, a seat that was open and to really um, commit to going down a very different path right. than wealth management, yeah. it took about six months. Okay, yeah, because that's and a big transition. Yeah, huge transition, totally different uh, progression path, but still in the greater field of finance. I mean, that's closer to what you initially were saying. That's sort of everyone sort of starts in the I want to be an investment banker. Right. Right. Yeah. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. That's closer to that world. Yes. Very right. much so closer to the, that world. The investment banker would be more the sell side role. And this is just the, the counterpart of that right. on the buy side. On the buy side. Um, yeah. So it's more towards that. And yeah. it's very, very different than wealth management. Okay. And, um, and why was it just because you found it more interesting um, or were you feeling that you sensed that there's going to be a limit to how high I can go if I don't have this sort of broader understanding, right? Because you had yeah. talked about, right, it's like I've been doing the, you know, working on the soft skills and selling right. these packages that are kind of other people were assembling or that you could assemble, but all the basic work had been done. Yeah. Was it you were saying, hey, if I'm just doing this, I'm only going to be in the sales thing. I'm not going to really have this deep-rooted understanding, and therefore that's probably going to limit me. Or had you run into things where you could clearly see it was going to limit you? Or was it really just, I'm really fascinated by this, and so I, I, I want to understand it. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it was a limiting thing. Okay. But I just realized that the times in my first role when I was most fascinated yeah. and engaged in the work was when we would have um, portfolio managers come into the office okay. or their, their sales associates to get deeper into the weeds of certain strategies okay. and really talk about the nuances of what made their product different right. from uh, a different or, or similar fund. Um, 
And it was in those meetings where I could ask specific questions that I just found that time felt like it would fly by. And it just kind of spoke to me at a little bit of a deeper level. Right. And the the other thing that was hard as when you're in your early 20s, um, it can be difficult to... Uh, have people a couple generations older trust you with all their assets. Right, right, and, right. And right. so I thought it would be healthy for me yeah. to go get some different investment experience right. that would build some hard skills. Right. And then later in life, if I chose to come back to financial advising, I'd have a couple more years under my belt. Yeah. I'd have a different and unique skill set than most financial advisors have. Right. And that would help me to connect better with clients and better tell the story right. of, of what we're doing. So you'd be a little older mm-hmm. and you would have technical knowledge. Exactly. Like, even if the person is, you know, if I'm, now, if I'm in my mid-50s and I'm talking to someone who's at this point maybe 26 or whatever, but they know some really technical stuff that I'm like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> yeah. Probably like, okay, this person is well-trained in their area. I can, I can trust them. Right. There's, there's domain expertise yep. that would have got built from the, the other role. And so I didn't see it as completely closing the door to financial advising, right. but maybe uh, providing me a alternate platform to launch off of later in life if that's something I chose to come back okay. to. And so then the place that you ended up in was exactly was what? You found yeah, something. Yeah, so I ended up at the Calster's Pension Fund, which is a 300-ish billion dollar fund, and I ended up on their fixed income team. Is that like is that like the thing that manages yeah, so all my of retirement, <laughs> my personal retirement? Is so, it state employees? Uh, yes. Yeah, so if yeah, you're a right. state employee, your pension is managed uh, by typically CalPERS, so right, that would be the exactly. public employees retirement system. That's what I mean. And then I was at STERS, so the state teachers retirement system. Okay. So all of okay. all of your grade school teachers, okay. K through 12, who have a pension, right. um, was managed by that fund. And then uh, I ended up on the fixed income team, so that's all all bonds, so mm-hmm. treasuries, credit, right. structured, all that good stuff. And I was on the structured credit desk, so we had a, a heavy emphasis on residential mortgage-backed securities, okay. and then a smaller allocation towards commercial mortgage-backed securities. Okay. And then through that, I also got to dabble with other ABS or asset-backed security classes okay. like. Um, auto or credit card or aircraft leasing or some more esoteric stuff like that which is really interesting so and and so was it did it end up being exactly what you were looking to do or it was exactly what i was looking to do but what i what i somewhat quickly learned is the people who were really really good in that field um often had a more technical uh, education history than I had in that it was comp science backgrounds right. or um, data oh. processing, data management, okay. data science, and and that background to where they could um, digest larger data sets than right. I could, okay. and and the computer can make better estimates than right. a person often can. Um, and so taught myself Python and R okay. th- through that first role. Um, but quickly realized I was never going to be the You're going to get to that level. And, yeah, <laughs> yes. unless you dedicate a lot of time A lot time of time, a lot of time. Right. And um, when I left financial advising, I didn't think I 
love the soft skills aspect of the, na- of the nature of the job. Yeah. But uh, quickly, as my entire day would be spent in Python or R, <laughs> trying to manipulate data sets, I learned that I like talking to people. <laughs> and right, right, that, right. Hey, maybe we should try to find something that's that's in the middle ground. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's but, so interesting. Like, you know, we have these ideas about what we want, right? Yeah. And it's like you really have to go through the experience to have the actual reality check. Yep. Um, it's funny because I grew when I grew up, I, I wanted to be a novelist. I was okay. convinced that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a novelist, and it was just like you know, I'd sit down and, and when I when I actually said, okay, I'm going to get serious about this and start writing, I realized it's like sitting by myself, hour after hour after hour after hour, like writing and thinking and writing and thinking and writing and thinking. I was like. I hate this. <laughs> it eats at your soul. It does. It's like, I need to talk to people. This is going to drive me crazy. There's just no way I can do this. So, yeah, yeah. it's really interesting, this, 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 you know, this, this gap that exists between, like, this fantasy we have about yeah. what, thing, you know, what, what we like, what we really are into and stuff, and what it turns out to be once we get yeah. there. Yeah, so I'm not sure if that's uh, the grass is always greener syndrome right. or uh, maybe some balance of actually what is better for the individual. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, or it's just, you, you know, the thing is, is like, I, I think it's like we actually learn to know who we are yeah. by doing stuff, right? It's not Certainly. like, you know, I mean, my mom's Buddhist, and so I kind of have a little bit of one foot in that background, right? But I don't believe that it's like, no, you sit there and you meditate, and that's how you get a sense of who you are. I right. think it's more like, no, you go out and you engage in the world. And that's how you get a sense of who you are yeah. because you get feedback. From Lived that. experiences yeah. trumps everything. You know? yeah. Thoughts are not physical and not right. tangible. So you got to get out there and you got to do it. You yeah. got to learn. Um, and so that's actually uh, what led me to my current role okay. is I did not have any intentions of leaving. I, I loved my team. Yeah. And as challenging as the work was sometimes, um, I was really happy there. Right. I think that's a great environment to be in when sometimes you're struggling, sometimes yeah. you feel great, yeah. but you're continuously learning. But um, this, this startup uh, reached out to me, right. and they were looking for someone who had structured finance experience so okay. and, and the asset-backed security space. So you got approached? Yes. Was it a headhunter? Uh, no, it was, it was the head of HR for the company okay. um, that, that reached out to me via LinkedIn. So always recommend having your LinkedIn updated. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and it was, it was really tough because I had actually just gotten a promotion, I think, literally oh. two weeks before they they reached out to me. Oh, wow. And I had jockeyed for that a little bit internally and played some cards that, in hindsight, I wish I didn't play. Right. But I thought that was going to be my life, and so I was trying to position myself as best I could for the future. Right. Um, But the more I talked to this group, uh, the more I could see um, not a super high probability of it working out, but a good enough probability of it working out to where it justified uh, the the risks. I didn't have kids, no mortgage. So you know what? Why not take the chance when you're young? Yeah. Um, And that's, that's what's led me back down here to being in LA. So, so what, if I might ask, and you have to answer, but I'm really curious, like what was it about this opportunity that, that was important enough for you to switch dramatically from what you had said you were thinking you were going to do for the rest of your life. Right. right? There's so, got to be something there. Yeah, there's definitely something there. So um, we are a consumer loan originator. Right. So we partner with the top private tech companies in the United States okay. and then allow their shareholders to borrow 
against their shares. So mm-hmm. if you're thinking you're you're a private tech employee right now and half your compensations in equity, yeah, um, stock you, options, exactly. Or whatever. Yep. You 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 have no monetary value though of that in your pocket. Right. You can't use it to help you buy a house. Right. You can't use it for medical bills, credit card bills, to put the kids through college, whatever. Um, so what we do is we offer you a non-recourse loan, typically at 30% max loan to value, right. um, to just get some of that cash into your pocket that you've devoted your life towards. So when um, you, so this is specifically things that are options and not stock that you uh, So they have, they have to be vested shares. They have to be vested, vested shares. shares okay. Yes. But, but yes, you're, you're but that's, so what's, what's different about that than just a margin loan off of shares that you own? Uh, you s- right. So public securities, margin lending, you can totally do that. Oh, this is for private. This is for private. Companies. Okay. I missed exactly. that. I missed so that. So if you Got think it. of like your yep. stripes or yep. your Databricks Got or it. something like that, okay. where, where you're not publicly traded, I uh, see. your only liquidity option, if your company does this would be a tender offer. Yeah, I know. I hadn't thought about that right 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 and so what what really got me thinking is in the space that i worked with i was buying securitized credit off of like um aircraft leasing or or credit card receivables um and then the big focus for me was cmbs so if you take like all of the the value of office cmbs means commercial mortgage-backed securities so it's like yeah you're good so like retail retail properties hotels office space stuff like that data centers whatever um so if you look at all the office exposure in the u.s (laughs) right now the value is kind of cratering (laughs) so put it put a big asterisk on this but let's just call it like four ish three four ish trillion dollars in market cap um uh, there is a huge percentage of debt that's taken out against that asset yep. class. Um, so call that like 70%. And okay. this, in this um, unicorn world that we're talking about for unicorn equity, yeah. uh, there's, there's less than 1% debt penetration okay. against all of this value that people have built. Okay. So I'm not saying it's going to be like office space. So there's 70 percent right. debt against right. that equity. Right. But I do think that people should be able to monetize right. more of that value than they're currently right. able to. Right. And so, and, and there's not, there aren't a lot of people. There doing aren't this. a lot of great solutions out there right now. So there are a few solutions, but you'll have to give up seven to 12 percent of your equity per oh, wow. year. Okay. And what we're trying to solve is to be the true. Um, fixed income solution, like a, okay. a, a true just bond right. where it's just seven, eight, ten percent right. interest payment that you'll make and I you see. won't have to give up any of your equity. Um, and okay. so solving for that, the data is not So you, you don't need for that private company, for example, to go public and that person to get a bunch of cash before nope. you guys get paid. They nope. can pay it off of just their salary on a basis they, of their servicing their loan. They like could, it. or at some point, they, they if they wanted, they could refinance the loan right. when it gets okay. to maturity. Right. Or if they wanted to close out, they didn't have the cash. They could yeah. then sell shares, given we're only working at like a 30% LTV. Yeah, but LTV yeah, that's, loan to value. Yes, thank you, sorry. Yeah, no, that's all right, that's all right. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's the name of the game. And, and the most fun part of this for me is just uh, figuring out a way to do that right. because if, if you think of like a teeter-totter, mm-hmm. you've got your lenders on one side of the teeter-totter, your capital institutions, so your banks, your pension funds, your insurance companies, yep. and then on the other side, you've got the borrower. Right. And so my job right now is I'm spearheading this lending business is yeah. trying to find something that works for the borrowers so the yeah. rates aren't egregious, right. but that satisfies the lender's risk criteria and yeah. where they think they're getting paid enough for the risk that they're taking. Yeah. 
So that's um, kind of exciting, right? Because it's like you're really you're creating this thing that doesn't really exist in in exactly. this space. So, so, so my, really, my that's cool. I mean, that's yeah. making an impact on what's going on in the world. Yeah, right? my my dream would to eventually be to get this asset class to where it's a product that would eventually be traded by someone like me in my last role. Yeah. So where we can see these right. tickers on Bloomberg, we can look them up, and there's many deals coming out a month. Yeah. Just structured securitized credit backed by all of this unicorn equity that's really cool um, and you graduated how long ago uh five years yeah that's that's pretty awesome <laughs> so uh i don't know i don't know if we'll get there that's right? definitely a little pie in the sky right but um that's that's what i'm fascinated by right, right now and what i find super interesting yeah. and devoting my all to right now yeah that's cool so i can see that that's that's something big yeah. So that I can say, okay, I get it now. It's like you had this thing that you thought you were going to do for the rest of your life, but it's like, oh, this is really like a big thing. Yeah. That's, you know, intriguing and mm-hmm. interesting and satisfies all the curiosity and all that. Yeah. And that's it's really cool. Definitely not easy, but uh, we wouldn't be here if, right. if, if, if it was. How, may I ask, how many hours a week are you working? Uh, in the office, probably 10 ish hours a day. Okay. But I responded to my first email this morning at 6.30, and I have a dinner at 7.30, Okay, and I probably won't get home till close to 10. Wow. So it's... So first, thank you for showing up for (laughs) this. Happy to be here. It's like you've got a lot going on, so I really, really appreciate that, um, you know, you're willing to take the time. Um, um, thrilled this. to be here and uh, just hope to help people find find their path because yeah. like I said this isn't where I thought I would be right. when I graduated right. school I thought I was going to be uh, a great financial advisor and it's yeah. it's funny how there's just been little turns the dial that right. change your direction yeah but um yeah but no, I think I think fun. that's that, I think that's important for people to recognize right yeah it, it's like it's like you don't know where you're going to end up, what no. you're going to do. And things change, yep. and you change, and, yep. you know, you grow or whatever. All kinds of stuff happens. And just yep. understand that. Because I do, and I've said this a bunch of times, it's like I, I do know a lot of people when they're, I don't know if you were like this, but a lot of people when they're undergraduates, they're thinking, I've got to make this career decision, and it's going to be my whole life. And it's yeah. just not like that. No. Yeah. And what's really difficult is to help people see that mm-hmm. because people would tell me that in college and I'd be like, no, you don't get it. This is, this is my life. Right. And then only through looking back, can you like actually see that like the thing, the problems you thought were big in the moment yeah. really weren't that big right. and you know, just take it one step at a time. Right. And uh, eventually you'll, you'll figure it out and it'll all make sense yeah. looking back. But in the moment it can be chaotic and sure. you'll never know you're making the right decision. Like each time I've changed gears, it's, it's a huge, like, what if, yeah. but you know, that's, that's life. It's, yeah. It is the story of what if, and just yeah. making the best out of the situation that you can. Yeah. So, um, and maybe that's, maybe that is it, but I, I do want to, um, like one of the questions I have, yeah. right. It's like, if you could go back in time right, and offer advice to, you know, totally. 2018 Elliot, yeah. So what would, it be, would that be it or would it be something else or I, I mean, I would say that to myself, but I don't think myself back then would listen. <laughs> okay, 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 <laughs> so okay. that's a tough one. All right. Um, the the one tangible piece of advice that I would give is um, always try to have goals. Yeah. Uh, because if you don't have like clearly defined goals for where you want to be one, five or 10 years mm-hmm. down the road, it's really hard to keep making progress okay. on, on a, on a periodic basis. Right. And then 
the other thing for people that I would recommend is if you're still early in your undergraduate career yeah. is think about the um, applied maths or the data science mm. or the comp sci fields because as, as our technology continues to evolve, more and more fields right. will rely on those industries to process larger and larger amounts of data to help organizations make decisions. Right. And um, I, I think it would have been helpful for me to spend more time in that domain. Okay. But, you know, yeah. hindsight's always twenty twenty. Right. 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 And, and then some of, that, some of that feeling is generated by that experience you had of going into this space and being like, oh, yeah. all of these tech <laughs> yeah. people are, are where it's at. Right. So yeah. if, I, if I stayed in financial advising, that wouldn't be the advice I would give. Right. But right. as I get a more holistic worldview and have now dabbled in tech and large asset management, it, it's that would have been beneficial for me if I spent more yeah. time in that. Yeah, I mean, for the people that have, like, you know, they're comfortable with quant, mm -hmm. they're comfortable with the math stuff, yep. it's like it makes sense yes. to... to, to to leverage that. Yeah, and, and really go deep on it. Right. And uh, another piece of advice is when I was in college, I had the objective of finishing with a 3.5 GPA. Right. And I graduated with a 3.498. Oh, man. <laughs> so point zero zero two off the goal. <laughs> um, and, and because of that, I, I often would spend less time on, on school things than I could have because I thought, oh, hey, I'm on my goal. Like, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But um, looking back, you know, school serves its purpose. Mm -hmm. It's to learn. And I think if I did commit more time to school, right. maybe I would have been able to explore some of those other paths hmm. or taken my finance classes a couple of steps or layers deeper to see that, hey, the quants are the people that are really doing this well, people right. with quantitative backgrounds. Right. And maybe that's something that in my couple hours of downtime, I should just look into right. more right. Um, rather than just setting a lower bar for yourself so, so, and coasting. So, so I have to ask, I yes. have to, I'm suspicious by nature. Yes. So, so, yes. so are you, you're not just saying that because you're talking to me, I'm a college professor. So it's like, you know, well, we got to make the college professors feel nice, you know, by telling them, yeah, students should study harder. Are you really, no. that's really, you know what I mean? I, I genuinely would say that. Okay. Like, uh, know, know why you're here. Yeah. And uh, don't let other priorities kind of supersede that. Right. So actually spending the time studying. And yeah. again, I, I do think, or spending, I think it's, it's, it's the issue for me, the way I'm interpreting it, yeah. right, is it's putting in the time to actually learn to do the things or learn the skills that actually are going to pay off. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and for you, because of the direction that you're going and because of what your interests were and because it's finance, mm -hmm. right, I think finance is one of those disciplines where, yeah, spending that time to study really hard and really get that stuff pays off a yeah. lot, right? Yeah. And if you're going into, let's say you only want to do sales, mm -hmm. right? Then I can see, you know what? Instead of focusing so hard on my GPA, maybe I get a sales job on the side and I just make call after call after yeah. call after call after exactly. call after call. So I master that particular skill. Yeah, that's, right? that's actually what I was going to say. I don't think it's as much of an emphasis on just studying, but mm -hmm. trying to define what you think in that moment 
yeah. you want to do in your professional career. Right. And then just applying yourself yeah. many hours per week of doing that. I mean, I interned for 18 hours a week Man. for two and a half years through school. Yeah. And so I always had those reps in. Yep. Yep. And then I did a couple events through the CFA Society while I was in school and entered contests for that and yeah. stuff. So it's, it's just continuously trying to apply yourself. Yeah. Um, in ways that you think will benefit you right. for your future. And and don't get me wrong. You're not going to be like, oh, yes, this is going to help me because A, B, and C. No, right. it's, it's never that linear and it's never right. that clear. Right. But by, by doing those things, you'll just pick up on certain concepts or trends yeah. that will help you in the long run. Yeah, and, and I do think the habit of hard work is a good one to have. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, it depends on what your goals are, but if you want to keep – advancing in the career and want to keep pushing and want to keep learning for sure you need to have that habit yeah yeah i, I would i would agree with that statement for sure yeah. <laughs> um let's see so and i don't know if you've experienced enough to have mm -hmm. some insight on this but um you know sometimes uh early careers come with learning curves yeah right and so i'm i'm curious about setbacks like yeah. you know how do you what do you do have you had any what do you do when you face them yeah. Any advice on how to navigate that? I've uh, definitely had my fair share of setbacks. I, I think the hardest thing for me was during my first job when I started to come to the realization that this might not be the path for me right. and how to approach that with my boss, okay. um, with my family, and, and with myself. Yeah. Because it was a huge transition. The right. past four and a half years, I thought I was just going to go up, be a financial advisor. And so I had kind of shaped everything in my life to be on that trajectory or that curve. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think there were times when I didn't carry myself in the office as mm. best I could right. because I was so conflicted within myself. Yeah. And so like for, for you guys, once you do start your career, if you do realize that, hey, what you started in isn't the path for me, know that that's actually okay. And a lot of people might tell you that, but like um, fully embrace it. And if you do go, do get that gut feeling, right. um, listen to it and, and don't fight it so much and try to stuff it down hmm. like, like I did. And I, I stayed in financial advising longer than I probably should have. Right. And that didn't hinder my development but uh don't force it if it's not meant to be okay so there is this need i think this came up in my interview um the, other, the last interview i did right you really have to kind of pay attention to what's going on internally yeah to, to really find something that you really want to do yeah to be happy in what you're doing yeah you definitely got to listen to the gut yeah. and this, the subconscious as much as you can because right. i th i th think it, it is telling yeah. and it can help you make those bigger decisions. So let me, let me, uh, I agree, but I do like a question that comes for me. And I have to say, I mean, I, I had a couple points in my life where I just like debated a choice, uh, for way too long. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. A really, really long time. And you know, a career related one. Like when I was, you know, when I was, I was going to be a historian and mm -hmm. then I was like, you know, I just, I wasn't happy about some aspects of it. Um, but I was good at it and I kept getting props for doing it. And so I just kept doing it for the longest time. And 
internal. Like one of my advisors used to call me Hamlet because if you know the Shakespeare play, it's like Hamlet can't decide what he has. He has these two choices. He just can't decide what to do. That's funny. Yeah. So he used to mock me by calling me Hamlet. So I'm in that space. But I think, but, but anyway, what I wanted to ask you about though, it's like, it's like, there's this thing about, you know, listening to your gut, right? Mm -hmm. But it's also like, you know, work is hard, right? Yeah. And sometimes there's just crap that you got to push through. And so how can you tell the difference? Like, do you have a sense for how you tell the difference between what is just, this is the crap I need to push through to get to where I want to be, and what's genuinely like, you know what, this really isn't working for me. Right. Um, so the CFA exam, Chartered Financial Analyst exam, level one, I failed the first time. Mm -hmm. And I put a ton of hours into studying for it. Right. And I still failed. But I, I guess the the difference there between, like, giving up and continuing to push through and persevere was that I, I knew this was just a step along the way to get me to my end goal. Right. And at that point in time, I still wanted, because uh, this was at my second job, so the bond trader, whatever yeah. we want to call it. Um, at that time, I wanted to be the best portfolio manager that I could be. Yeah. And so I knew that, yeah, this was hard and it would take a lot of time, but I had to get through it. Right. Versus back when I was in financial advising, some of the the harder parts were talking to clients that you weren't super keen on talking yeah. to. Yeah. And I knew, like, that part of my day sucked. Right. Or I shouldn't say sucked. None of it sucked. It was right. a great experience. Um, right. but, but it wasn't uh, the highlight of right. the day. Right. <laughs> I was most fascinated yeah. when the managers would come in yeah. from PEMCO or from Double Line yeah. or whatever, and when they would talk to us about their strategies. Yeah. And so uh, I, I don't know how to word that more eloquently, yeah. Yeah. but yes, there are definitely parts of work that will suck and are hard. Yeah. Um, but if, you know, that's, that's life. There's yeah. steps you got to take. Right. Yeah, I think it's, I think... So there's an article that I've been that I that I ask my students to read uh, in a lot of the classes that I have, and and the basic point of that article is it's like the, the, the follow your passion advice is it's it's missing a key component because it's like it's like every single thing that you're going to undertake in order to be successful at is going to have a downside. It's just the nature of reality. There's going to yeah. be a hard part. There's going to be parts you're not going to like, and so you need to spend some time recognizing what are the things that are really crappy that I have a high tolerance for, yeah, right? Because it's like, because that's that's what I realize. It's like, there are things that I don't like to do that are just, they, they just kill me. Mm -hmm. And there are things that I don't like to do that I just, I can make it. I'm not mm -hmm. super keen on it, but I can get through it. And I have a higher tolerance for that than other people do. Yep. And what I found is, that article is right. Like, that's the area where I can be successful. It's like, it's like the, the way that that, my ability to deal with that job's downside and interacts with the upside mm -hmm. is just like, I can be successful at this. Whereas this other one, it's like that downside is just so painful for me that I just am miserable. Even if the upside on that would be twice as high as the upside on the thing that right. I do, like I'm it. better off going with the one where the downside is something that manageable. I'm like, I can just manageable. Yeah, 100%. I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, for me, my professional journey, something I always tell myself is a rule of thirds. Yeah. And that is one third of the time, you should feel like you're on top of the world yeah. and you're doing better than everybody and you're just right. ecstatic. One third of the time, you should feel like, hey, things are all right. They're not great, but they're not awful. And then one third of the time, I should feel like I'm getting my ass kicked. <laughs> right. or my butt kicked, sorry. Right. Yeah, that's right. and, if, okay. and if I kind of balance 
those thirds yeah. in even proportions, I'm probably in a spot where I'm continuously growing and advancing mm-hmm. myself. And sure, sometimes they're great, but some yeah. of the times are hard, but yeah. it's like your mom always said, balance is key. Yeah, yeah, that's what life is. That's cool. So um, you work a lot. You work really hard. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and so, the, 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 so I guess the question I have is, what are your thoughts on work-life balance? Do right. You, do, is it possible? Are you able to achieve so one? Even though my uh, schedule today is relatively chaotic, yeah. I, I do make sure that I have, I have two things that are paramount in my life. And so one of those things is strength training, so mm-hmm. weightlifting. Yeah. And I would recommend that everyone finds a physical hobby that they can schedule at least three to five times a week yeah. where it doesn't matter what work you have going on, what yeah. family obligations you have going on. You're going to dedicate time to yourself yeah. to push yourself in that domain. You'll you'll generate endorphins. Yep. You'll blow off some steam. Yep. It'll be good for you. And your brain, um, your brain functions better as well. Yeah, and there's all that stuff. a ton sleep, of benefits. Sleep better. There's a um, and it doesn't need to be weight training. It could be yep. running. It could be swimming. Right. It could be some team sport. Right. Whatever it is, yeah. just some physical activity to block some time out for yourself where you're not working. Yeah. And with email stuff, that's hard to do because yeah. I will get Slack messages or emails in the middle of my training session. Yeah, yeah, like, ah, got to take a call. But whatever. Um, and the other thing is with snowboarding, which mm-hmm. I, I thoroughly enjoy, I make sure in the winter that I have at least one weekend each okay. month that I can commit to going to Mammoth or going to Utah or Jackson Hole or somewhere yeah. to to ski. And, yeah, I'll be available for work calls if something right. comes up over the weekend. But it's something that I have to look forward to yeah. through the winter months when yeah. it's it's colder, it's a little bit darker and more yeah. depressing. Yeah. But I have this activity that I really, really love, right. and I've always got a trip plan that I can look forward to. Right. Yeah, so that's interesting, right, because it's like, it's like it doesn't have to be – I mean, it sounds like in a sense, you know, it's like it doesn't have to be a huge amount of time no. as long as you're really, you know, conscientious about taking care of yourself. Right. So it's like you got to give it some attention and you got to say, hey, I, I deserve this. I'm worth it. Yep. And then give that to yourself. Um, yeah. Whereas I think if you're not intentional about it, you can get busy and just like forget and just totally neglect yep. your own needs. Yeah, for, for sure. And uh, I'm very fortunate because I don't have family or significant right. other or anything right. like that right now that's that's dragging me away from work so it's yeah. it's easier for me to say this than a lot of other people sure. I'm, I'm positive about that yeah but um yeah I have, a col- I have a colleague who's got a newborn <laughs> he's got a newborn yeah right and then you know I've, I've had kids so the thing with people you know some of you out listening you know probably have kids and so you you know you can relate to this it's a little sometimes it's different like he's sick but his kids are sick <laughs> and so it's like it's one thing when you're sick and like I'm sick and I'm miserable but I can you know struggle through but when you're sick and you have to take care of someone else who's sick, right. this is terrible because you're like, wait a minute, I'm sick. I shouldn't have to do anything. It right. doesn't work that so way. So I, I know that I might be working a lot right now, yeah. but I don't expect this to be forever. Sure. And I can I can see that light at the end of the tunnel. Right, right. Or at least I think I can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, you know, there's definitely there's other plus sides to it. So, yeah. so, but it is, um, but even in those situations, what I found, like, um, was that it was still important to, to have set aside time for me. 
right? Yeah. It's it's because it's like you know it's like it's like when you're in the tr- you know in the airplane, they tell you put on your oxygen mask mm-hmm. before you put on the oxygen mask for anyone else because yep. if you are unconscious, you can't help anybody. And yeah, it's very right? true. So it's the same <laughs> thing. If you're unhealthy, if you're miserable, it's really hard to be like if you're miserable. It's hard to be generous towards other people. It's hard to take care of other people, and it's hard to be successful. So given that time to yourself, um, I think it's super important. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's my strength training for me. It's my little step away and sanity to kind of ground myself. Excellent. That's really great. Um, and then I guess like what's next for you? What are you? Yeah. So (laughs) sort of middle term, I know I'm guessing with the startup, that's it for a while, but maybe even longer term. So, um, it's, it's really tough for me to answer that question. Well, because as, and the stories I've shared with you, you've mm-hmm. seen how at different parts of my life, mm-hmm. I would always give a different answer. Yeah, right. Um, so for right now, I have three goals. When I classify, I always have three goals. One is super ambitious. Uh-huh. One is fairly ambitious. And then one is just not, is, is attainable, yeah. is what I'll call it. Right. So the super ambitious is within the next two years to have a Q-sipped bond that's okay. out there on the Bloomberg terminal that's trading. Right. And it, that that would be super cool to me to see that there. Yeah. The less ambitious but still fairly ambitious goal yeah. would be to originate over five hundred million dollars of loans in this space. That would be either one forty four A or just private securities right. for some institution to hold. And I think that's a little more doable, right. but a li- it's not publicly traded, so <laughs> it's a little bit easier. Right. Yeah. And then my uh, achievable goal right now is that even if this doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know that I left every stone unturned. Oh, you didn't um, leave any stones. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I said that backwards. I didn't leave any stones unturned. I'm really good at leaving stones yeah. unturned. <laughs> I, 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 I can that. accomplish that one. That one's definitely doable. Um, <laughs> and and this this whole process. So for me, yeah. if, if, if for whatever reason, if the stars turned and fate had other plans for me, if, if I could know that I just went in every day yeah. and did everything that I could to make this product work that would be enough for me to not look at this experience with with regret or a sense of failure when some people might look at that as a failure because uh if if we didn't produce those goals right but to me no we we knew that it's a it's it's a startup it's it's newer it's an asset class that hasn't been developed or defined so there's always that chance and then the other thing though is that one by approaching it that way you dramatically increase the odds that you are successful. Yeah, right? for That's sure. That's the first thing. For and sure. then the second thing is, if it turns out that it isn't successful in terms of any metrics that you have now, just how much are you going to learn oh, yeah. by going through it that way? And then what you get to do with yep. everything you've learned by doing all of that. Yep. Right? Learned a ton along the way. Um, had a lot of super interesting conversations with very influential people yeah. in the space. Um, and that's something I don't take for granted. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what's next, yeah. and who knows where it'll be, but uh, I'm sure it'll be exciting. I, uh, yeah, I'm pretty confident. <laughs> it sounds really interesting. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm really excited for you, and, and I think that's just cool. So um, this has been great. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate your taking the time um, out from your huge business schedule. By the way, for any of you who are out there thinking that you don't have time to show up for my podcast, if Elliot can do it, <laughs> you guys can do it. So. <laughs> yeah, and uh, building on that, if anyone ever has any questions, feel feel welcome to send me a LinkedIn message okay. or Professor Klein has my email. He yeah. can give it to you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and might not have the best answers out there, but try happy to try and help. 
uh, others find their way. Yeah, that's, sure. that's really great. And I just, I just want to say, I also, aside from the time that you've taken, I really appreciate just how thoughtful uh, and insightful um, your 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 um, comments and thoughts have been. Yeah, on, let's on let's hope that the listeners think it's also as insightful. I'm but sure, I'm <laughs> sure there will be ones who are like, "Wow, that's fantastic!" Happy happy to help and happy to be here. Thank, Thank you, you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you all for joining us today at Beyond the Beach. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And if you're enjoying the show, please consider subscribing on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for those of you who want to go the extra mile, please consider leaving a review or comment. I'd love to know what you think. Thank you.